special for you. He dropped a couple of scriptures in my heart, and from there, I knew where to take it. How many of you have noticed in these last days uh, that there's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of signs? If you go with me to Luke 21, let's go there together. In Luke 21, Jesus is talking, and of course, you know, he's talking about the last days. And he's saying some interesting things. He said, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. How many of you have seen, you know, I remember Bishop Zing teaching on the red moons. And you've seen there has been a solar eclipse. Uh, and you've seen different things that has happened in the stars. On September 23rd, they said there was an alignment of planets and stars that had not happened in 2,000 years. The time where the wise men saw something assigned in the sky and decided to move to Bethlehem. Amen. Hallelujah. And so um, we've seen signs in the skies. And then Jesus says, uh, and on the earth, distress of nation. How many of you know that's the case? I mean, with everything that's going on, um, everything that's going on with North Korea and the Middle East and Russia and, and so on and so forth, there are distress of nations with uh, perplexity. People are being perplexed. The sea and the waves roaring. Amen. We can vouch to that here in Florida. All over the place, there are things happening. The weather, the nations, the skies, there are signs everywhere. And why? What is it telling us? You know what a sign is? It's just like, you know, uh, not long ago we were heading to uh, Macon, Georgia, and you see signs on the road. 100 miles to Macon, 15 miles to Macon, 20 miles. That tells you you get closer. Well, right now, all the signs that is happening in the sky, on the earth, among nations, are signs that something is getting ready to happen. But listen to what Jesus continued to say. Said so then, uh, where am I at? Men's heart failing from them, which I, um, th- where am I at? I can't see it. From, from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, uh, for the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Amen. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That's what those signs are all about. And now it's telling us we are only a few miles away from the destination, from the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what all the stuff that is happening is all about. But listen to what Jesus said. It's not the end of the story. Say now when these things begin to happen, look up. Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Glory to God. Jesus has been telling us, warning us that when you and I start seeing all those signs, the stars, the moon, the sun, the nation against nations, the people getting filled with fear, with things that is happening all around, or when we start seeing all of that, the, uh, we should stop and look up, knowing that our redemption is very near. And that means for you and us, And I, it's not to enter into fear, it's to enter into joy. We should rejoice. We should be happy because first, joy is our strength. Because we know we're about to be face to face with the Son of God, our Savior, our Lord, our friend. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. But you know what is important is when you know you're close to something like that. You know, I equate it just like how many people love football? Yeah. Only five people? Let's have an altar call. <laughs> you know, when you are at the two minutes mark at the end of the football game, what's getting ready to happen? You don't see the players walking on the field like this. 
sudden, everything goes faster. All of a sudden, people are getting alert. All of a sudden, people start getting busy. All of a sudden, people start... You know what I'm talking about. And that is exactly how you and I should start seeing it. Knowing our redemption draws nigh. So it's not a time to get lax, to get easy, and to get uh, uh, play with sin. It's a time to get serious. It's a time to start working. It's a start. It's a time to start looking up and start knowing what we're supposed to do. Just like a football player, when he gets at the one or two minutes mark, he knows exactly where he should be, what he should do, and how he's going to do it. It should not be any different for us, the church. We're not ignorant of this time. We understand. We see the sign. We understand that Jesus is coming back. But we also understand that Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. He's coming back for a powerful church. He's coming back for a church. Oh, that will be used by the Spirit of God like never before. What we saw in the early church is nothing compared to what God is going to do before his return oh hallelujah amen but you know what that also means for you and I if we understand our time like the son of Issachar we who understood the time and knew what they ought to do you and I that means if we understand the time that we live in we we should know and understand what we ought to do Listen to what the word of God says in 1 John 3, 3. In 1 John 3, 3, uh, uh, Jesus even says, he said, oh, the apostle John, excuse me, said, he said, those who have this hope, which hope? The hope of redemption coming near. The hope of seeing Jesus face to face. Amen. Those who have this hope in them purify themselves. Silent in this Catholic church. <laughs> now you know my heart. If you've listened to me preach and teach, you know that I'm all about teaching about grace, about the love of God, about the freedom that we have in Christ. But I also know that uh, that grace is not a, a grace to let us live lax and in and, 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 and a mess. It, this grace, the Bible says in Titus 2.12, it teaches us to rely on godliness and worldly lust and live sober, soberly before the return of the Lord. You see, if we understand that we are two minutes before the end of the game, it's not a time to be lax. It's a time to be serious about the things of God. Just like Hebrew in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, if we have such a great cloud of witnesses, because you know what's happening right now? All the men and women of faith that have preceded us, they're on a balcony in, in, the, in the balcony of heaven, and they're watching us because they know that we are the two last minute of the game. And they are cheering us on and looking at us saying, come on, come on, you can do it, come on. And it says, if we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us rid, let us rid of every weight and everything that, and the sin that so easily ensnares us. So we understand, you and I, that we are in a race. We are on the last two minutes of the game, of the race. We've received the last baton of the relay. And it's a time where you don't, you put everything you got inside. You go fast, you accelerate, you go and you put uh, everything you've got inside. That's what, and you know how awesome that in the whole time, you know, 6,000 years that God chose before the foundation of the world that you would be part of this time. Brother, you could have been born in 1360 somewhere. But God chose for you to be here in this time. Because you've got something to do. You've got a role to play. You're not just a passive player on the bench. No, you are called to be part of this last race. And so we see here 
that if we understand our time, we understand that we've got a role to play, we understand that we are part of this great race of the last minute of the game before the Jesus comes back. And let me tell you, I'm just going to add a little parenthesis if I may, even if I may not. <laughs> we are so close to the end time. We are right now at the edge of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And if any of you know that, you understand that it's a great war that will happen where Russia, Syria, Iran, Ethiopia, and two others will come against Israel to try to annihilate it. But that will happen right after the church is taken out. And if you know anything about it, Russia has set up some Post right there on the northern border of Israel. Syria, he set up some, some war camps and military camps right there by the Golan Heights, which is the northern border of Israel. And, and now listen to this. That one just blew me away. You know, in Ezekiel, he also talked, there would be so many dead people, so many dead people that they won't have enough time and people to bury them. So what, you know what is going to happen? God said that he will send the birds of prey or predatory birds to eat the flesh of the dead people. To clean, the clean up crew. You know what they say? The animal planet has reported that there has been right now 172 species of birds of prey in Israel that usually migrate, but they said something is weird. They're not migrating, they're staying in Israel. They're looking for a place to sit, a place to make their nest. Hello, the cleanup crew is already on the ground. You know what that tells me? It's like when Noah's in the times of Noah, when they started to see the giraffes and the lion and all the animals, they knew something was getting ready to happen. They just didn't truly understand. Then when the, the, the animal starts to respond and obey, you better pay attention. You know it's getting really close. Amen. amen. Thank you for these two amens. But I'll take them anyway. All of that to say that you are not, it's not a time to be lax. It's not a time to be comfortable and play with stuff, with weight and have weight and stuff that, no, it's a time to understand that we've got a role, a major role to play. But in order to do that, to, to fulfill the plan of God and be part of that mighty, mighty move of God, we've got to have to purify ourselves, get rid of the weights, get rid of the sin. But now, the point of my message this morning is, how do we purify ourselves? Because that's where there is the most misunderstanding. When we say, okay, you need to walk pure as he's pure. You need to walk holy as he's holy. For the Lord your God is holy. And he who has called you is holy. So you are to walk holy. And, and, and we, we know all of us, you in this church, because in your heart, this is your desire, your inward desire. Yes. Amen. But how to purify ourselves? How to be holy as He's holy? How to get ourselves ready to get rid of the weight, to get rid of the sin that wants to ensnare us? How to do that is the big, that's where there's been the most misunderstanding. And this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Because most people, you see, here it is, all of us, we sometimes struggle with stuff. We've got some little bad habits. Like, you see, Paul called it weights. It's not automatically sin, but that stuff that's going to weigh you down, slow you down. And then he talks about some sin. And he, he, he showed that that sin wants to entangle you, ensnares you, take you captive. But you know Paul also saw that he, he talked about that struggle that he had. In Romans chapter 7 verse 19 he says, I found that there is a war in my member and the things I don't want to do. I'll never do that. That I'll do. And the things that I want to do, I want to fast. I want to pray. I want to read my, that I don't do. 
And in other words, Paul also is showing that he had a struggle in his member, in his heart. He wanted to do right, but he found himself always falling into the same trap. He found himself entangled with the same bad habits. And he says, oh, who will deliver me from this thing? Who is going to? And thank God in Jesus Christ. But you see, most of the time when we struggle with bad habits, with sin, it's really not a sin problem. Jesus is dealt with a sin. It's been nailed on the cross. It's not a sin problem. It's an identity problem. When we, you and I, fall into bad habits and cannot, because let's not be innocent within the church. I am amazed that I see people, and, and, and here it is, that are, are, that are trying to be secret about it, but they're struggling with stuff. They start struggling with pornography, struggling with gambling, struggling with, you know, bunch of stuff. Might not be the majority, but I know they are. And they don't know how to get out of that. Because most of the time we've told them, brother, be holy. Quit that. Quit that. Stop that. I'm trying. I'm trying. I want to. But like Paul said, but the power to do it, I don't know. And you know, most of the people have problems. And they don't know how to get rid of the weights and the sin. Because they don't know how to get out. They have a really an identity. They don't know who they are. It's a, I don't know who I am. And you see, the first truth that we've got to realize is Paul revealed it to us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. He says, I pray that you may be preserved, blameless. Here it is again. Until the coming of the Lord, that you may be holy, holy, spirit, soul, and body. The first thing that Paul reveals to us is first and foremost, we are a spirit. You're not just a pretty body. You're not just even a personality. You are first and foremost a spirit. And you know the problem and the struggle that most of us have when we've heard, well, when you're a Christian, 2 Corinthians 5.17, whoever is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So all of us go, yay, I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. But sooner or later, fall apart. Back to the same bad habits, back to the same stuff, because they don't understand that, yes, they are a new creation, but the part of them that became a new creation is their spirit. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 says, God says, in that new covenant, I will put in you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. You see, when we accept Jesus, it is our spirit that becomes this new creation. Our spirit, and Romans 7.22 says that I delight in the love of God or in the will of God according to that inward man. But here is the thing also we found out, Pastor Farrell, I need your help. You see, Pastor Farrell, he is our spirit. He is our spirit. But Paul also reveals to us that we are spirit, but we also have a body. So Fred, come over here. You are our body. Fred's the body. He's the body. <laughs> and he's right here. But Colossians 5.17 tells us that there is a war between the two. Yeah. And they are opposed one to the other. So that what the spirit wants to do, it doesn't do. Amen. And there is a war between the two. That they are never in agreement. They are always contrary one to the other. Yeah. Amen. And what but? He also tells us that we have a soul. And you notice spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit. You have a soul. And what is your soul? Your soul is your mind, your way of thinking, your intellect, your will, the way of choosing. Amen. Your emotion, how and what you feel, and your conscience. It's all in your soul. 
and you live in a body. But here is what's happening for most of us. You see, you notice here our mind is in the, between the two. The spirit and the body are never in agreement. They always fight one against the other. And then they're always contrary one to the other. But in the middle is that soul. It's the deciding factor. And your soul, in another word, it's like, I could compare it like a computer, a brand new hard drive or a brand new computer that comes out of the factory. It has to be programmed and it has to be, you know, they download information. But you see, here is the problem. When you and I got born again, it is our spirit that got born again. We got a new heart, a new spirit. Our flesh wants to do what feels good. Our flesh wants to do what it wants to do. It's like a little child that is spoiled, led it to himself. But we have a soul. And the problem oftentimes is that our soul, which when we were born as a baby, was like a brand new computer through the time. What happened? You went to school. You watched TV. You went maybe to a church whose doctrine was not right. Come on. You listened, watched, heard. Things were download it into your mind and through the years your mind looked like this your mind got polluted by the way of thinking of the world in another word your mind became a carnal mind and carnal doesn't mean automatically sinful it means of the flesh it thinks like the flesh it chooses like the flesh it 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 feels according to the flesh you've got a soul that is being polluted Let's be real. And now you get born again. Hallelujah. And your spirit wants to do right. Your spirit wants to do the will of God. And that that spirit said that morning, man, I want to get to know God. What am I going to, I'm going to get up in the morning, five o'clock. You put the alarm, you set your phone, five o'clock. I'm going to get up. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God. And so here comes you in the morning, five o'clock. No, you might. Hallelujah. We, like you can tell, we did not rehearse. <laughs> and so your spirit wants to do what's right. Let's get up. Let's get to know God. But the, the phone rings. Or I would say the, 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 your alarm goes. And your spirit says, get up, get up. But your flesh says, stay in bed. Oh. I'm too, th- I'm too tired. I worked hard. And your spirit says, get up, get up. And oh my goodness, your body says, no, stay in bed, stay in bed. Get up, get up. No, stay in bed, stay in bed. And that's what Paul talks about. He said, there is a war waging in your member. But here is the problem. If your soul, mind, will, emotion, thinks, chooses, and feels like because of that it's polluted, what is it going to do? If you've got a carnal way of thinking, of choosing and feeling, it's automatically going to associate with the flesh. That's what you call flesh, being dominated by the flesh. And what will happen, friends? I guarantee you'll stay in bed. Two against one. Amen. Thank you, guys. Two against one. That's what most of the people, they want to do right. They want to walk right. They want to please God in the inside, but they don't have the power. All we've told them to do, oh, do this. Don't do that. Quit this. Quit that. Stop that. The bunch giving them a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts. Colossians 2, verse 22 through, or 20 through 25 says, it didn't work under the law. It's not going to work now. Trying to obey a set of rules of do's and don'ts, observe this, don't do that. It's unsuccessful in the curving and disciplining of the flesh. But here is the good news. You ready for some good news? God shows us exactly how to purify ourselves? He tells us in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world. 
You know, that's what the church should think about. I don't want to be conformed to the world. I don't want to talk like them. I don't want to look like them. I don't want to act like them. We should be different. When we walk in a room, Jesus is walking in. Hallelujah. He said, don't be conformed to the world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And the word transformed, it's the Greek word metamorphou. And that Greek word metamorphou, you recognize something, don't you? Metamorphosis. What is this? It's a process. It's a process that happens that is hidden in a cocoon uh, uh, that the eyes cannot see, but it's happening on the inside. And on the inside, a caterpillar that looks so repulsive, that just goes on the ground. Oh, that everybody look at and say, yeah. You don't look at a caterpillar in awe thinking, oh, it's beautiful. Most of the time we see a caterpillar, ah. And that caterpillar goes in the cocoon and something happens on the inside. Something happens on the inside and sooner or later it comes out of the cocoon. And when it comes out of the cocoon, it's been turned into a beautiful butterfly that now has, that is not only beautiful, but has no limits. It soars. It goes high. It looks, oh, everybody goes, woo, ho, ha. In another word, Paul here shows us something very important. The transformation doesn't happen on the outside. We are no longer doing behavior modification. No, we are doing heart transformation. The transformation must happen first on the inside. Like a caterpillar in the cocoon on the inside. You might not see or know what's going on, but something is working on the inside of you. How? By the renewing of your mind. Hallelujah. And listen, listen to this. In James chapter 1, you see, most people, the problem is they go to church, they think church is the only source of transformation. So they go to church once a week, if that, and they listen if they, have, if they blessed, and you're blessed in this church because the people preaching are preaching the word. Amen. But you say, okay, a little, you know, and in these days, let's just do a little 20-minute sermonette or a 30-minute if that, you know. No, no, and you can listen to a little bit of word every week, and you will sing, oh, I'm going to get transformed. Well, really? Look at it. You see, your mind, your soul, your will, like we said, looks like this. And if we go to church, can the camera fix on this? Hallelujah. Aha. You see, if you go to church on Sunday morning, a little bit here, once a week, Maybe on Wednesday, once in a while. How much transformation are you going to see? Not much, exactly, sister. Not much transformation. That's what most Christians today have a problem. You see, they have a problem because they think going to church just once a week to hear a little sermon is going to be enough to keep them walking straight. And No, it's not going to purify you. That means that you and I are going to have to be serious about it. That means that you and I understand the time that we live in. And we understand the role we have to play that God has invited us to play. And that means that we've got to start doing something on our own. Not depending only just on the church. But taking that and said, okay, I'm going to purify my heart. Amen. Why? Because Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, or so does he. The wrong believing will produce the wrong living. But the good news is if you can transform, purify your mind and transform your heart, the right believing will produce the right living. Amen. 
And you see, that means that you and I are going to have to start doing something to purify our, our mind. And in James chapter 1, in James chapter 1 says, in verse 21, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness, here it goes again, an overflow of wickedness, and receive the, with meekness or humility the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Here, when he talks about saving your soul, it's not talking about your spirit. Your spirit has already been saved. It has already been not only saved, but your spirit is identical to Jesus. 1 John 4, 17. And it's been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. But he's talking here about your soul, mind, will, and emotion. And he says, get rid of all filthiness, overflow of wickedness, and receive with humility the implanted word of God, which is able to save, purify, cleanse your soul. And it's interesting because Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 13 and 15, he says, give yourself entirely to the teaching, to the doctrine that progress be evident to all. You see, if you only go to church once in a while, we saw it's not going to do much. But if like Paul urges us or encourages us, if we give ourselves entirely to the word, to the doctrine, and I would go even to say, going into the epistles of Paul, because this is where he got the revelation of who is the church and who Christ is in the church. Ephesians, Colossians. Ephesians is who we are in Christ. Colossians, who Christ is in us. And you study that, you're going to start knowing who you are. And Paul says, if you give yourself entirely, what will happen? You go to church every day. You read the, the Bible. Oh, before you go to bed, you look at the Bible. When you can, you study the Bible. You listen to messages. My goodness, today, you can go on YouTube. You can go on the website. You can listen to messages filled with the Word. And what will happen sooner or later? Glory to God. Your soul will start thinking like God. Your soul that has been, you see, purified. How do you purify? You put the word. God never asks you to take something without replacing it with something else. By putting the word into your heart and putting the word and the word, it purifies your soul. And now, ladies and gentlemen, with a pure soul, a soul that thinks like God, that chooses like God, that feels like God, that is, oh, that, that, oh, glory to God, what happened? I need my spirit and my body. You know where I'm going with that. You see, your spirit wants to do the right will. The spirit wants to do the will of God. He wants to get up in the morning. Yeah. Or your spirit, if somebody does something wrong to you, offends you, uh-huh, does something nasty or says something nasty behind your back, man, your flesh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Yeah. Let's take revenge in our own man, in our hand. And the flesh, man, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to tell them what I'm going to do. But your spirit says, what your spirit says, no, forgive. Take the higher road. God, love, you are love. God is love. Go walk the higher road. And your, your, your mind, your, your body says, oh, no, I'm going to tell them what I think. I'm going to kick them. But then now, you got a soul that has been renewed. A soul that not thinks, chooses like God. And what, you know, the Bible says, a spiritual mind will produce life and peace. But a carnal mind will produce death and every sort of death. 
hallelujah, broken relationship, broken finances, so on and so forth. But here, when your soul is being renewed, you think like God, you choose like God. What happened all of a sudden? Your soul sides with your spirit. And that's what you call crucifying your flesh. You do what I say. Now it's two against one. You tell your, you see, this is what we said. Thank you, honey. That's what we said. If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What is it to walk in the spirit? It's not going, ooh, I see a vision, I see a... No, walking in the spirit is being so renewed, your soul so renewed, so cleansed, so purified, that now it, uh, it, it is with the spirit. They become two, they become one, and now they dominate the flesh. They tell the flesh what to do, where to do it, when to do it. Now you learn to be dominated by your spirit. Now you learn to walk in the spirit. And you will not fulfill. It will fall off. It will fall. Those bad habits, those weights, those things, it's not going to be, oh, I'm going to quit smoking. Or I'm going to stop doing this. Or ah, no. It's going to be forget about those things. Stop looking at your flesh. Stop looking at your bad habits. Stop looking even at the sin. Start focusing, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of your faith. Hallelujah. Starting looking into the word, filling the word into your heart. And all of a sudden, without realizing, you're going to look back and say, I'm not the same person I used to be. And it's been done without effort, without straining. It's effortless. It's easy because you let the word of God do a heart transformation. And when you transformed on the inside, then you'll become transformed on the outside. But let me warn you. You see, it's not just what you take out, but what you put in. Because it's good to listen to the word, to purify your soul with the word. But some of us, what do we end up doing? On the weekend, oh, let's just go and we watch a little bit of crud. What we watch on TV, what we listen to, all the junk, you see? What you put in your heart will determine the condition of your soul and the condition of your soul will dictate whether you are dominated by the soul by the spirit or the flesh so that's why David in Proverbs 4 verse 20 says protect your heart with all diligence for out of your heart will flow the forces the issues of life and how do we protect our heart be careful little eyes what you see be careful, little ears, what you hear. You see what we watch. And some people said, oh, not imp- it's just distraction. It's just a sitcom. It's just, no, it's, it's make-believe. Uh-huh, really? I remember, I'm going to do a little parenthesis, when I just got married. When I just got married, I remember, Fred would come back from work. And then, you know, before we went to bed, we just said, okay, let's relax. And we watched, I love Lucy. I love Lucy. It's a good, fun, clean, I mean, and you laugh, right, Pastor Sharon? I don't know if she watched Well, I Love Lucy. I don't know. I'm just thinking. She probably don't even watch I Love Lucy. But I was watching, and I, we laughed. It was fun. I was like, oh, relax. Ah, until the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And he said, is that the kind of marriage you want? Because if you observe Lucy, everything she does is lying, manipulating, doing things behind the back of her husband, trying to move, do the, all kind of stuff. And even though it looked funny, innocent, it was a piece of meat injected with a little bit of poison. And the Holy Ghost said, if you continue watching this, that's what you're going to produce in your marriage. So guess what? Jesus says, if something causes you to sin, cut it out. I just cut it out and I stopped watching I Love Lucy. And my marriage is the better for that. You understand? Because marriage has got to be built on trust. That was a little parenthesis. It was free. I won't charge you for that one. But you see, it's all about 
cleansing your heart but guarding your heart not to put back junk that will affect how you walk it will become those little weights you know you, do you see yourself running a race with weights that's how many Christians are. It's not stuff that are sinful per se. It's stuff that is going to slow them down from doing what God has called them to do. So it's no time to play around. We are on the two minutes before the end of the, of the game. It's no time just to go and have, you know, wait, going around with weights. No, it's a time to get serious with God. It's a time to go and purify ourselves as he's pure. And you see, when you approach the word, what is so important. When you approach the word, you've got to approach it like you approach a mirror. Because most of you, when you read the Bible, you read it as one day in the by and by. Yeah, he talks about me being blessed. Well, I, one day I'll get blessed. One day God's going to heal me. One day I'll be successful. One day I'll have this. And one day I'll quit that. And when we read the Bible... As if it's a book that tells us how we're going to be. When you and I, in reality, we know that the mirror never lies, and, but it tells you the present. Do you agree? When you look at the mirror, it doesn't tell you the way you used to look like when you were 5 or 10 years old. Or it's not telling you the way you're going to look when you turn 80, 90, or whatever age. No, it's telling you the present and it's telling you the present now. And it doesn't lie. Some of us wish it did. But it doesn't. It doesn't lie. When you read the word of God in James chapter 1. We just first read that James told us to cleanse or to get rid of the overflow of wickedness. To cleanse and purify our soul. But he tells us also after. He says that therefore... He said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if any is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes what he looks like, then goes away and immediately forget what, what manner of man he is. What is James trying to tell us? When we look at the word of God, we've got to approach it as a mirror that will always tell the truth and the present. When you read the word, it's not telling you what you're going to be like. It's telling you who you are right now, what you look like right now. now. So when you read the word and it says you can do all things through Christ to strengthen you, it's talking about you right now. When it says you are healed, it's talking about you right now. When it says you are more than a conqueror, it's talking about you right now. When it says you are holy, it's talking about you right now. But remember, it's talking about who you are in your spirit. The new creation that has been created identical to Jesus. You have been created in the likeness of God. Just like Adam was created on the first day. Let us make men in our likeness. You and I as a new creation, we have been recreated in the likeness of God. Identical to Jesus. You are holy. You are righteous. You are perfect. You are complete in him. Hallelujah. And you've got the power of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. It's in your spirit. It is in your spirit. And so when you read the word, that's what you've got to see. And that's what you've got to accept. Remember what I said? A sin problem, it's not a sin problem. It's an identity problem. You don't totally know who you are. You are like Jesus. One day I'm going to be. One day I'll be, I'll be blessed. One day I'll be prosperous. One day I'll be healed. No, you are right now, according. That's who you are. That's your reality. And you've got to accept it, accept it, believe it. And as you start accepting it and believing it, you're going to start walking in it. Heart transformation. Right believing, right living. You see, the mirror really has... Two purposes. Number one, to show you your true identity, who you really are, what you really look like. 
But the spirit of the, the, the mirror will also has another purpose. You see, when you get up in the morning, when you get up in the morning and you look like this. Yeah, no, I'm the crazy preacher. I don't, I don't mind. When you get up in the morning and you look like this, what do you do? You stumble in the bathroom and you see your face in the mirror. Well, if you had any common sense, what should you do? You should start fixing yourself before you go to church this morning. Aren't you glad? All of us this morning went before the mirror and we saw things, boogers in our nose or in our eyes, eyes going like this. And we had to do a little fixing up. Well, the word will do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear what I said? With the help of the Holy Spirit, when you read the word, you would read, you should read the word, said, Holy Spirit, open my eyes, reveal things to me. And you're going to start to read. And the Bible says in Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, it is he in you that will cause you to will and to do it. In another word, you read the word and all of a sudden, shoom, with the help of the Holy Spirit, the word pops out the page and you see all of a sudden, The Holy Spirit reminds you who you really are. You're a son of God. You're the righteousness in Christ Jesus. You are, you got the spirit of truth in you. And you, all of a sudden you read and you find out the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Or you find out the story that say, don't lie one to another. And you're like, the spirit of God will just illuminate the word to show you that there's something. You see, you are righteous, holy, and you have the spirit of truth, but... That's who you are. But look, this is how you're acting. So just do a little fixing. And the Holy Spirit will not only give you the will, the desire, but then there will be a grace that will be released. A grace, a power from within that will help you to go not only to will, but to do it. It will no longer be, you got to quit smoking. It will be from your spirit where all of a sudden you think, man, I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm destroying myself. I don't want to do that. And from within, there will be a will. There will be a desire to go and and start getting rid of some things. And aligning yourself with who you really are. And you see, the more you look at the mirror of the word, the more the Bible says in 2 Corinthians Chapter, I believe it is chapter 3, verse 18. It says that I beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image. There is there a, a, a principle from the Bible that is powerful. You know, and I'm going to close with that. In the Old Testament, Jacob. You know Jacob, when he fell in love with Rachel, He said, I'm working seven years for that woman. You see what love makes you do. He worked seven years. And at the end of the seven years, he's ready to get himself his woman. He goes to bed. He wakes up above this Leah. And he said, what did you do to me? And so he said, oh, you know, the the oldest has to marry before the youngest. So if you work for me another seven years, you'll get Rachel. So he worked another seven years. And then after those 14 years, he's ready to part and go his merry way. And the Laban says, no, 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 because of you, I've been blessed. Because of you, my business prospered. So please stay with us. Please stay with me. But that time, I'll pay you. Name your price. And then he said, okay, here is my price. Every animal that has spots, that has uh, 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 spots and stuff all over, you know, that will be my payment. It's found in Genesis chapter 13. He says, any animal that has parts and stuff all over, it will be my payment. But all the animals that are of one color, whether it's black or white or brown, one color, then that belongs to you, Laban. But lest you think I'm going to try to cheat you, we're going to separate the two, the two flocks. You know, the flocks of one color, it's going to be there, and I'll take care of it. And the flocks with spots and stuff all over, 
that are, my sons will take care of it. And they separated from a few miles. And then what did Jacob do? He put in front of that flock of animal, sheep, goats, that were of one color, strong and one color. He put a edge, a wall that he made with uh, uh, almond tree and all kind of wood. He built like a fence. And on that fence, he used some kind of a knife or something, and he made spots all over that, that edge. And he put that edge with all those spots in front of the trough where the animals would come to drink. And every time the animals would come to drink, what did they see? What did they have in front of their eyes all the time? They had woods with spots. And you know what the Bible says? That that flock of animals that were of one skin, one color, they gave birth and produced animals with spots and all kind of stuff. And that's how Jacob became rich. That's how his flock increased, increased, increased. With the principle that you become like what you behold. You become by what you continually look at. So stop looking at yourself in the flesh. Stop looking at your sins, at your weaknesses, at your inability. What you did or didn't do, should have done and didn't. No, start looking at the word, the mirror of the word. Start looking at the word. Purify your, your heart with the word of God. Oh, start falling in love with Jesus all over again. Oh, dine with the word. Commune with the word. Listen to the word. You go in your car, listen to the word. You go to bed, listen to the word. You open it, read the Bible, study the Bible, listen. Give yourself entirely to the word. Quit some of the stuff that is a waste of time and that is only polluting your heart. And you'll be ready. You'll be all glory to God. You'll be a tool. You'll be like a sharp knife in God's drawer. You'll be a tool that the master can use. And you see, it's not hard. It's really not hard. It's just ourselves giving, giving ourselves to the word. And the Holy Spirit and the word, they do the work. Your part, give yourself to the word. His part, it will transform you like a caterpillar and transform you into a beautiful butterfly. You see? So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes if you don't mind. Nothing religious legal.